Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Tez International Podcast with me, Dan Worth. In this episode, I chat with Mark Steed, Principal and CEO of Kellett School, the British International School in Hong Kong, about how leaders can grow their school staff and become talented leaders in their own right, even if this means they may end up leaving, and why this is sometimes no bad thing. We discuss how you can do this by providing real opportunities for growth and development, including when to use courses that lead to professional qualifications, and when more ad hoc on-the-job training is better. And he also explains how he's showing the hidden side of leadership to his senior staff, so they could go in eyes wide open to any future headship role they may take. All that and lots more on the latest TES International Podcast. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the TES International Podcast. Great to chat with you. You've been a, a long-time contributor to the website, so it's great to finally get you on the podcast as well. Um, you're in Hong Kong, but tell us a little bit more about how you came to be there and your, your role, your school now, just so we can set the scene before we go into our conversation, which uh, I know will be a very interesting topic, actually, but let's just set the scene a little bit about where you are before we go into that. I'm currently um, Principal and CEO at Kellett, and I've been here for three very interesting years in Hong Kong's history. Um, prior to that, I ran one of the leading GCSEIB schools, British schools in uh, the Middle East, uh, Jumeirah English Speaking School. And prior to that, I ran two independent schools in the UK, one in Devon, uh, which was a small um, rural boarding school. And then I ran Berkhamsted Schools Group, which was slightly larger and uh, sort of um, North London day school sort of vibe to it, I suppose. Um, with, and half the students there were in the preps and uh, three prep schools and uh, separate um, boys and girls taught separately and in, uh, for GCSE and then a joint sixth form. So it was a very interesting school to run. Yeah, so that's, that's the, uh, it's an interesting sort of career, potted career history there of the different types of schools and locations. Um, and again, just to your school now, then what's the sort of setup of pupils? You know, what are you, what are you teaching? What stages? So we've got two prep schools which run from four to 11. Um, one's uh, two-form entry, one's three-form entry, uh, feeding into a senior school that unsurprisingly is five-form entry. Um, we do GCSEs and A-levels. And overall, we've got about 1,400 students in the school. And you know, we're being Hong Kong, we're quite an academic school, but we have a particular emphasis on well-being, and uh, particularly we have a very strong positively Kellett program. Yeah, excellent. Okay, well, maybe, maybe we come to the well-being bit later on, potentially as an adjunct to some things we're going to talk about. But we're going to mainly focus on sort of staff development, staff management, recruitment, and but really retention. I suppose we should say on how you keep you know good staff when you get them. You've written about this for us before, and people listening may well have read your articles and 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 so we can delve into this a bit more. But again, just overall, then that that idea of staff management and, and development and, and real career progression that's obviously so important, isn't it? Because if you get good staff in, you can't just sort of they're not going to just arrive and just stay indefinitely. You've got to find ways to make them feel like they're they're valued, that they're growing, they're progressing. Is that is that a fair way of putting it? That context of that conversation about you know that's something that you've always come to look at. I thought you know you need to focus on that really strongly to make it work well. You can't just pay lip service to it. No, absolutely. the 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 relation There's a really strong relationship between professional development in education and and also career management. And um, and I think that particularly this generation of teachers who have come into education over the past ten years are very tuned in to 
their professional development and their, the opportunities they might have in terms of career progression. And I think there's there questions that come up all the time at interview, for example, when you give a candidate the opportunity to ask a question, invariably they explore those two avenues. So I think those are very important areas, and I think they are related as well. So um, if we're looking at professional development, I think we need to look at, in a sense, different categories for that. You know, we need to say, well, look, there's obviously the basics that everyone needs to do, which you know might be, you know, we're all going to do safeguarding training, or we're all going to do mental health first aid, or whatever. Every member on the staff, you know, might be involved in that. And then you've got, I think, this is where the career talent management thing comes in. You're going to have a look, you know, you're going to say, well, look, who are the people who are going to be the next generation of middle leaders, you know, whether that's subject leaders in the prep or whether they're heads of department in the senior school, or who are going to be the next pastoral leaders within the school, uh, or who is going to be the next senior, come into the senior team as, you know, assistant heads and, and as, uh, and as uh, deputies and then indeed head teachers. So I think having that, a pathway is really important. And then, but also tying that into the professional development program is really key. Mm. That's interesting what you say about you, th- you think new teachers are really focusing on that more. And, and again, is that something, do you think that's accelerated or, or continued over the pandemic, whereby because of the lack of easy movement between roles, potentially because of travel restrictions and whatnot, it's become, it's now people really sort of focused on that even more, do you think, or is it sort of maintained the same, do you think? I think I think there's just greater awareness of what's going on, and you know it, it's one of those areas on which sort of quite tacitly schools compete. Um, you know, schools that provide strong professional development and clear patterns of career progression are more likely to recruit top talent to their school than, than those who don't. And I think that's that's really important to, from from a point of view. Of, running a high-performing school, competing effectively in a global market for talent. You know, you, you've got to get these things right. So, so how do you do that then? That's obviously the, the, the big question, isn't it? Because you can't just, you know, people aren't presumably just going to come in and sit there and wait for the opportunity to arise and wait for the person above them to move on or something like that because they might not do that. So how do you find a way to actually give them that sense of professional development for career growth if you can't just promote them every X number of years? Well, I mean, at Kellogg, we've created a number of training roles, which I think are, are really important to for people to learn the ropes and have a taste of what the next level of responsibility looks like. So we've just put in a tier of deputy heads of house, for example, so they could learn the ropes in a bit more, in, in a more sort of structured way than, than they would do just as a tutor in terms of pastoral progression. Um, you know, we've got, uh, we've just appointed a number of assistant heads who are, who are learning in a sense to be senior leaders. They've come out of strong middle leadership roles. They've been, they've sort of, you know, there's been mastery at that level, if you like. And then they've moved into this, these new roles and they are in a sense learning the ropes about what it's like to be in the senior leadership team. Um, and one of the things that we've perhaps done that's a bit more innovative around that is that we've, you know, we've got these five roles which are around 
academic data, pastoral, co-curricular and professional development. And that they have been appointed for two years into one of those roles. And there is an expectation that they will move on to a different one in, in a couple of years' time. So that's one way in which you can sort of create a structure within a school which actually develops people. Um, it gives people the opportunity to have an impact, but it also has the opportunity for them to, to sort of open up and they won't get bored or stuck in a role. They'll actually have to sort of, in a sense, move into a new role. It's also interesting from the school's point of view, I think, because I think people are very well motivated. If you know you're handing over to one of your colleagues in a couple of years' time, then obviously that helps from, from a school's point of view in terms of resilience. But it also, there's a real driver there for the individual to do a good job because, in a sense, you've got that sort of, sort of I suppose there's an implicit peer pressure to, to actually, you know, you're going to have to face your form, you know, your predecessor in a way that not everyone has to do normally. And I, I think the other thing is, is about, you know, sort of also being willing as a school leadership to say to someone, look, you've, you've had your innings. Um, and that can create, you know, in a sense, flow within the organisation. You say, well, look, you know, you run the department for 10 years. You know, thank you for what you've done. You've really taken it a long way. But... It is now time for someone else to come through. And I think that's probably easier for us to do in international school community than it is to do in, in a UK structure, but because of the sort of way in which career paths work. But I think there's a real, there's a real, there's an excitement about it. I mean, and I think with, with changes in the pension scheme in the UK in terms of it becoming average salary rather than final salary, I think, it opened up the possibility for those sorts of things, conversations to happen and for people to, to step back um, and go back to the backbenches rather than just being sort of a head of department to the end, clinging on for the extra you know, the pension that that would bring. Yes, yes. Well, that, that's an interesting idea, that second point there. I mean, let, let's sort of deal with the first one, this sort of these roles and you see people move around because that does open up quite a lot of questions, doesn't it? So there's a couple of practical ones. So how long is that? Been, in, been up and running is it, is it two years have you had the first set of movement no we haven't but and, and I think to be fair I can look at you know the, the five people and say well you couldn't do five rotations you know there are people there who who would be very uncomfortable you know for example taking on a pastoral role when you know they're particularly strong at the, you know in the data role or something but there's at least you know one or two rotations there and I think that that's quite important. And I think, you know, combined with the fact that you know, if, if you appoint people who are fundamentally ambitious into roles, who want to make a mark, who want to do a job well, who want to really learn the ropes as they go, they will get the promotions. And it's also a recognition that some of them will get a promotion outside Kellett because, you know, there is, you know it, is, it is a pyramid. And not everyone can get to the top. Um, and I think one of the things that, you know, I'm most proud of is that a lot of people that have worked for me in my, you know, in my senior teams have gone on to run their own schools. And, you know, it was great to meet up with, you know, a colleague who's, run, you know, the head of senior school at Bangkok Patton the other day when I was, I was lucky enough to be over there. 
and you know he was one of the deputy heads here at Kellers, and he's now running his own show. And I think that then allows this flow to happen. Um, but you know, I think where things get stuck is when somebody sits on a particular role for a very long time, and in a sense blocks the talent pipeline. And that that that's where things start breaking down. For I mean, people get frustrated below because things aren't moving. How much do you think it takes leaders to always have a sort of form of emotional intelligence, shall we say, to to understand that, you know, that they have to sort of set this, the groundwork for people to progress both within their own school, but also to them they might leave? Because you can imagine, can't you, for some people, the idea of raising up people below you and having to have that, you know, they, it can become sort of a threat of like, you know, you don't, you don't want people to come too good. So, but obviously that that's a very negative thing, but it does happen. Do you think, you know, leaders have to kind of recognise that, like you said earlier, your time is not forever. You, know, you will leave, other people will move on. You have to recognise it's just a, it's a churn in a good way that you have to facilitate. Yeah, so I, th- I think many of us who, who run schools recognise that you, you need turnover. You need a degree of churn every year and that's healthy for the school. Um, you know, the, I think education's different from other professions in this way in that we... We're sort of in it for the profession rather than just the, the, the institution, the organisation, the school we're working for. And I think that when I deal with my governors, they find it really strange that, you know, I'm very pleased and excited that one of my deputy heads has gone on, you know, to, to run another school. Um, and they, they, in their framework, you know, in the sort of financial services world, that's, that's you know, we've lost talent. Um, that perhaps would have been there. But I think we recognise that, you know, in, in education, that not everyone's going to make it to the top, that actually it isn't about clinging on to talent at all costs. It's about developing talent. I mean, I, I mean I've got an interesting one at the moment where, I mean, one of the things we're very strong at at Kellett, I think, is keeping in touch with people who leave. And we we actually have a sort of a staff alumni group and we... We actually do webinars, you know, twice at once, you know, once a term, you know, three times a year, I suppose, four times a year, um, where we connect up with people around the world who have worked at Kellett and we will have a discussion around a particular issue. And, you know, we've, you know, the next one coming up in a few weeks' time, we're talking about the importance of research in education and we're pulling together people from both, both present and past at Kellett. And, but there's there's a sort of important aspect to this having a sort of alumni thing because people come back, mm. um, and I think that you, you stay connected. People go away, get experience, and then they may be actually very good candidates to come back into the organisation. And I've I've just done this on the support side. Actually, we had a very very talented data manager. Um, he went away for a couple of years, has developed his skills, became and the IT director for a, a franchise group in charge of Asia, you know, and he's developed wider skills. And then when the overall data role came up again, he, you know, he's come back uh, into that more senior role than that he was in before. And he brings with him two years' experience somewhere else. Um, he's known to us and so on. So I think... This idea of, you know, a, a fluidity within the profession, I think, is really important. And, and I think one of the things that 
the UK you know, sort of maintained sector is missing at the moment. Is there's this huge talent base working internationally, many of whom at some point want to go back to the UK. And I'm astounded that people find it difficult to get jobs back in the UK because, yes. because they're coming from phenomenally well, you know, well-run schools. You know, I mean, you know, nobody will have a better understanding of Ofsted inspection than the teacher who worked for five years in Dubai because they've had one every year they've been there. Sort of thing. So you've got, the, you've got these, this, this, this talent pool. So I, I do believe in this fluidity of talent. And I think we should, you know, we should accept that people will leave. But also, by the same token, people, you know, it's not, shouldn't be surprising if people come back. Yeah, that's very interesting. There's a lot of points there, isn't there? I mean, the, the thing about international school teachers struggling to get jobs back in the UK is something I've, I've heard from a lot of people. And I myself, obviously, yeah, find it equally baffling because you think, as you say, these people are clearly talented, they've clearly qualified, they've clearly been through, you've got great experiences to draw on, they, they can deal with difficult situations with, you know, demanding parents, with, you know, they can work with all kinds of pupils, EAL pupils, whatever you want to call about it. So to not get a job back when they come back is, is strange to me. And your point about how when people leave, actually, they might come back and you know they're, they're, they're almost like a brand ambassador, aren't they? Like you talking about that teacher who's left to now be a head teacher. Well, if he's got staff and they look for opportunities, they're going to see where he was at Kellett. And, you know, clearly that's a good place. And it's all it all kind of feeds into everyone's best outcomes. I think that's quite an interesting insight as well. The other question I wanted to ask and just to sort of finish the circle on the sort of tour of duty thing where I, whereby you have these roles and people move around. It was interesting you said it might not be the case that everyone goes around every time, so, so to speak. So again, because that's a, that's the thing I can imagine people listening to this would wonder about, isn't it? If you've got a very good head of pastoral who comes in and really doing great stuff there, if after two years you move them on and they're sort of thinking, well, I, you know, I don't want to do data. Or that's not where my skill set lies. Clearly then you've thought about that so again, that's something you have to sort of, it, it's, it's, like it's not like a done deal, like you have to move, but it's almost like you're, you're looking at it, well, if, there's a, if it makes sense to do it, that's how you'll do it. Is that correct? Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, obviously these are, these are debates we have internally as well, but I think people, you know, in terms of resilience within the organisation and having cover and experience, but also it's about growing people for the next role up so that, you know, if you're going to be, I mean, let's take the, if you're going to be a deputy head academic, you probably need to have done the assistant head academic role and you probably also need to have done the data role. Um, if you're going to be an effective pastoral, you know, in terms of pastoral care, you probably also need not only to have an idea of how that works, but also what's going on beyond the classroom and the way that a lot of those those sort of co-curricular aspects, because these are often issues where they are, or indeed that you've got experience of, of the academic side. Um, so I think there, there are overlaps and, you know, we distill things out into job roles. I mean, there's a very interesting um, book that I read recently called Work Without Jobs um, by two guys from MIT Sloan. And they're, they're basically arguing that what you should do is just appoint talent and then not actually have job descriptions and job roles, but you should just have sort of fluid teams. And to some extent, that's what we've done. You know, we've got a group of five very talented people and we can configure them into different teams to solve different challenges and problems that the school faces. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, and that's quite fun. And there's, I mean, we, we've got a, um, you know, we're looking at how we might standardise all our schemes of work at the moment. And we can just pull people from different strands to be on a really strong working party, some of whom are middle leaders, some of whom are assistant heads, some of whom are deputy head level. And we can really pull a very exciting team to work through an issue like that. So I think those those sorts of opportunities, I mean, I use working parties and working groups as a way of, in a sense, seeing how the talent is, you know, who are the people you know, if you want, if you, you know, if you're a middle leader and you want, you know, to, to be considered for an assistant headship then or put on the pathway and given the training for that, then put your hand up and be, you know, get involved in some of the working parties and you know, let's see you in action. And, you know, and that's really why some of these people, you know, that we've just promoted got there because they were really pushing on the door with, you know, involved in a lot of projects. Yeah. That that's a very interesting point, is it? Because like you say, training and sort of putting your hand up and and sort of showing you want that kind of training, or you 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 feel you deserve or have to you know have, should have the opportunity. As you say, for someone in your position, you want to see that happening, don't you? Know? And that sort of it shows that that those sort of fundamentals of you know be the sort of be the change you want to see, dress for the job you want type mantras. You know that's why they work, don't they? Because if you can if you show it, people will give you the opportunity. But how do you? What sort of training then do you offer for that? Because Working groups and so forth does sound like a quite a good sort of organic way of doing it. But do you also have sort of in-house or do you, you know, do people work externally to come and get that kind of, we can see you want to go up, we, we're happy to back that in this way? Yeah, no, I mean, there, there are obviously very good formal courses around, you know. I mean, people like the MPQML, OSL, you know, obviously they've just reorganised that. So there's different versions and flavours of that now, uh, MPQH. But... If you take the MPQSL as an example, I mean, there, there are, the, the, you can't have everybody doing it. It's actually quite challenging for a school to have lots of people doing those sorts of um, projects because they have to run their own project, research project within the school. And, and also, so I would say that people, you know, the people who, who do that are the people we should be targeting as on that's in a sense the talent pipeline and you sort of put yourself up to be on the talent pipeline if you like by by being involved in working parties and groups and say well actually this is the the decision this is the career path i want and then this is where the sort of third piece comes in i suppose which is you know where your annual review appraisal sort of structure sits because I think, you know, it's good to be able to sit down with staff and say, well, look, what are your career aspirations? What do you want to do? What do you, you know, what are you doing on your side to, to support those career aspirations? Well, you know, what if, where, where are you involved? What debates are you involved in? You know, what, what are your thoughts on these particular issues? And then, then obviously the school can then sort of meet people halfway and help people by putting them through the MPQML, SL or or other those other specialist courses that might relate to what the areas they're interested in. As, as a general rule, I always like to give people the job they want because that you know if you want that job, then then you're going to be really excited about it. So I think one of the things I see my role as school principal is to sort of in a sense help people develop their careers. Um, and I'm not sure 
that you know I'm, I'm not, and I think there's a really there are really good reasons for doing that because that way you foster talent and you also because you foster talent you attract talent more talent in and then because you develop talent people have opportunities and get promoted either internally or externally and the whole thing flows um i think if you yeah. if you try and cling on to talent and you hold hold it too tight then you know all you're going to do is choke it and that's that's yeah. what some schools do yes yeah, so he, he definitely has that you know culture strategy for for breakfast type thing there doesn't it because it's like you know if you if you create a culture where people can grow and learn and, and yes that might mean they leave but you kind of embrace that it's almost you know you actually probably people stay longer rather than you know leaving because you've given them opportunities because actually they they feel loyal because they appreciate what they're doing they realize that well actually i could move but I, you know i don't know what will, will the grass be greener probably not type thing and so again it distracts me so much of this it sort of comes down to i mean to, to leadership of you enable that people will kind of respond well to it if you don't they'll leave in their droves you know because they'll realize this, there's nothing here for me how do you then again if, if that's sort of fair way of looking at it what do you do away from courses in more general career you know, cpd as we as we it's generally termed again how do you make that work because i'm always so conscious people talk about cpd that you could just send someone on a course and say well there you go there's that was some cpd but if it's not what they want or it doesn't actually kind of take them in a direction they think is worthwhile it's kind of pointless so again how do you get that balance right of giving people the opportunities to do professional development but make sure it's actually worthwhile for them and, and the school well, I think you, you've got to have your educational development plan. So you've got to. So the the way we have formalised CP CPL as we use it's, uh, leadership, um, uh, professional um, learning at um, at Kellett is people will bid for what they want to do, but that would have to sit within um, perhaps the departmental uh, education development plan. So, I mean, it might be something as banal as, you know, X wants to go off and train to be an examiner or whatever, and that would fit, you know, within an educational development plan or somebody else might want to go off and do forest schools because that might sit within one of the prep school educational development plan. And so you've got to prioritise in a sense so you get this fit between what people want to do and... And and also what the school wants people to do, and the, the best it works best when the two align. Um, and I think that's about putting sort of career, you know, career pathways and development together. I mean, to be honest, a lot of the best training we do in school is 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 peer to peer. You know, I mean, I've got a phenomenal data guys. You know, um, but I have a, a formal data team who are techies. You know, not teachers, and I have a group of teachers who are very interested in data, and they've taught themselves Power BI. Um, you know, by YouTube clips, whatever. They haven't been away on courses, and then they they get together and they brainstorm and they share ideas on how it was, and this is how I solved that problem, and. And it's sort of gradually we're bringing more people into that group as, and we're sharing that expertise out. Um, on the well-being side, I mean, you know, one of the challenges we face in Hong Kong is that, you know, we've got one of the highest um, teenage suicide rates in the world. So we've got, you know, on the pastoral side, we've put a lot of effort into mental health, um, mental first aid, 
um, getting some of our pastoral leaders trained at the next level. We've got people trained in terms of suicide intervention and how we how we do that and how to manage these situations. And so I think again, but you know, you then the key thing isn't you know X goes off and does this course and that's all very nice, but you know you've got to cascade it out. You've got to fit into the school's needs and the school's challenges. Um, and then it sends the, the school grows with that, and you know we we take the whole thing forward. And is that the case? Then are you saying that, that if people got a course, you kind of there's a expectation, or or generally they would come back and then pass that information on in a you know in this briefing session themselves to their to other you know other teachers, other leaders. Yeah, I mean, we're this is all fairly new to us because we've we've had a we've had a three year sabbatical from external um, external uh, CPL recently, of course, in Hong Kong. But um, no, we're coming out of it now, and actually, we've got groups of people going off to you know to do that. But yes, there is the expectation when you go away and the school invests in in your training that actually you share and cascade that down within within the school. Yeah. And obviously, you, you talked at the start about your your career journey. You've been different in both international and you know within the UK. Um, other things you're talking about here, have you sort of done them in other in your other settings as well, or do they have to be sort of you know tweaked and whatnot, be, depending on the context? You know, any, anyone listening to this is thinking, "Oh, right, we should do this." It's like, well, you you have to sort of make it fit to your context, your setting, your your teachers, you know, your staff, or do do you sort of actually can you just do the same thing fundamentally in most places? I, I think it, I think you can do the same thing in different contexts. I think it sometimes takes longer for it to land. Um, I think you know I'm very fortunate at Kellerton that you know the average age of the staff is around 35. I think there's hardly anyone over 50. In fact, most of us are the actual highest level senior management team of the people over 50. So we've we've got a very young dynamic. Um, sort of group of people within the school generally we don't appoint people who haven't got three years teaching experience because of the complexities of coming out to you know to hong kong and and so on and that's not uncommon within international community um so you know we've got an age group that are generally you know quite dynamic um are you know, in terms of they're, they're very computer literate. Um, so we've, we'd, I would be the first to say we've got a group that are, um, you know, are not sitting there on the back benches waiting for their retirement check to come. Uh, you know, that we, so who, who, who can be a challenge and certainly running schools in the UK. I mean, that group are a particularly difficult group. And, you know, and what one thing I learned about them is it's not worth sending them off onto CPL because they'll just go and rot it up. You know, it's not worth. You, you know, you've got to want to do it. You know, if somebody you can't make someone go and you know engage with the city, you know, training. You can make them attend. You can't make them engage with it or, or even take it on board. So I think I think there are those are factors. But yeah, I, I think always within every school there are there are people who would welcome this approach. And I think the the way in which I've always developed cultures within the school is you just work with the people who are who are willing to sort of move it forward. And I, I, over time, the culture shifts and then people will embrace it. Um, 
And I think that, you know, it, it, there is this, you know, this got to be an element of, you know, you need to get on board, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that takes longer than others. That's interesting you say about those people age, sort of in that, that age group, because obviously they're going to be the next leaders, you know, whether that's with your school or, or elsewhere. But I was talking to a head recently in, in Europe, and he was saying that one of the things they're sort of, he and other heads in the region that he talks to regularly were saying is they've noticed that there doesn't seem to be quite the same level of sort of aspiration for headship and very senior roles because, and he, we were sort of questioning why, and he was saying possibly because the last few years in the pandemic have shown how stressful it can be at the top. You know, and that, and it's obviously wasn't normal. Like no one knew that's not what you normally sign up for when you like when you took your role. You probably didn't know that was what, what waited awaited. But do you, have you seen anything like that? Do you think there's any sort of people kind of thinking actually maybe I don't want to step up because it looks so stressful and actually the message should be look that wasn't normal. It's not usually like this. Or or have you not seen that? And do you think aspiration to for, for the top jobs remains as high as ever? No, I I I think that. To do the sort of role I do, where I effectively run three schools and have head teachers, I think where you're quite distanced from the day-to-day of school life and indeed of students, um, I think there are people who are, who are not wanting to do that. Um, and I think that places a, a limit on them. So the, the question is what you do with people like that, you know, and and some of them, you know, I mean, I some of them become very, very good heads or very, very good deputy heads, but they don't want to, uh, they don't want to move beyond that. And I think that's that's interesting as a dilemma because I think you can have people who are very effective deputy heads, but effectively they are then blocking that role. So I, I suppose it comes down to where, as an organisation, you're going to draw the line and say, well, I, I don't mind heads sitting on those roles and we'll always bring in the principal CEO from outside or uh, or whether you allow that to happen at deputy head level or indeed at assistant head level. I, think, I mean, I'm very much of the view that I, I would always try and appoint someone who to a role as a deputy head who would aspires to be a head or someone who to a headship role who aspires to doing the principal CEO role. Because I think I, I think it, it's good for the organisation because a lot of what I do is I, I also run the business side. Now, one of the challenges in our profession is that we come through as academics as, and you know, we run departments or we run pastorally. And that, that means we're, you know, we, we, we on the whole, have got reasonably good at dealing with data and we're reasonably good at dealing with people. Um, but we, we don't learn how to run a business. We don't learn how to run, you know, to actually run a school financially or, or to oversee the admissions, although we might have picked up bits along the way. We might have picked up bits of marketing along the way or whatever, but we're not, we're not used to running that operational side. And I think one of the things that, that is, is, is encouraging, in a sense, the National College went down that route of putting that, that the, the uh, executive leadership um, qualification in. But that side of things, you do need people, you know, we do need to tr- a better mechanism for training school principals. Because I think part of the reticence that you're alluding to is the fact that people feel very comfortable 
running the academic side or the pastoral side or the co-curricular side or even the professional development side for teachers, but they're not very comfortable running a multi-million pound organisation with 300 employees, which is, which is a very different kettle of fish. And it isn't really what they signed up for. So I think this is, as, as schools get bigger and group together and so on, these sort of CEO principal roles are, are evolving. But at the moment, we're just throwing in a lot of people who, who have done it. I mean, I've been fortunate. I've done, I've done this sort of role now for 14 years. So I've picked up bits along the way and made a lot of mistakes along the way, and I still do. Um, but, you know, but some people are just getting thrown into those roles without having had the apprenticeship. So one of the things I'm trying to do with you know, my senior team, so when, you know, when uh, one of my staff went off you know, to be a head or two of my staff went off to be a head, I sat them down and tried to talk through how the business side of the, the, the school works. I'm currently mentoring the, I've got seven assistant heads across the three schools and I meet them once every three weeks and we, we take a topic that they would never normally come across. So, you know, like the use, use of data to analyse how efficient the school is or how staffing budgets work or how recruitment, how do you do recruitment from a whole school perspective? Because these are things that as a school principal, as a head teacher, you, you, you do. But when do you learn it? So I think it's about putting these training mechanisms in place. So in the absence of any decent course there, I think it's just nice to meet with my assistant heads and we can, we can chew the fat around some of this, this stuff. And it, I think it's, yeah. very, it's useful for them to see life from the other side of the telescope. And is it useful for you as well, maybe, to almost like help, you know, because if you're doing all these different things, like say, to, they may, do they sort of throw questions at you and think, actually, I don't know about that, or we, we probably should get better at that or something like that? Well, no, definitely. I think my approach, you know, is, you know, I mean, so when we did the data one, I said, yeah, if you were, you know, you're bright, these are all bright people. I mean, you know, they're sitting there with first through Imperial and stuff, you know, you go, well, if, if you were collecting data on how efficient the school was, what would you collect? And then they inevitably come up with a couple of metrics that I haven't thought of. Or, you know, and so I think it is about throwing things back at people and saying, well, look, well, how would you do this? Because, and, Using that fresh pair of eyes, you know, into a role or into the school as almost consultants to say, well, look, you know, what do you reckon? Yeah, it's interesting that 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 issue, the topic of you know, development and training on these topics that they don't really get any training on, is something that I know the state sector is in, in the UK is or in England, I should say, is focusing on because of the, the move to multi academy trusts, and suddenly you've got trust CEOs who are, you know, some of them are just former teachers and head teachers who are. It's not the same, you know, what you alluded to, the sort of type of work you have to do and things you have to focus on and the size of the budget, you know, particularly if you grow or if there's a desire to, to grow and you suddenly are running five or six schools and then maybe 20 schools and it's like that's not a head teacher job, you know, and there's more non-teachers coming into those CEO roles of certain trusts because actually if you've got, you know, very good management experience in a certain other sector, well, a lot of it will translate into education and the bit you don't know about education, you'll have talented people around you who can tell you, what, why that matters or how you fix that or you know you'll learn it on the job and there's that interesting sort of development going on there in the in the in england so it, it sounds like you know again and you can imagine in international as well and you're obviously have seen that and 
and doing moves to help your stuff come up, which again seems to take us right back to the start of the conversation, which is those assistant heads presumably must appreciate that because if they are looking one day applying for a job, if they can go into and say, oh yeah, I do understand about budgeting, about, you know, development plans in a very sort of, not just from a teacher perspective, but from a leader perspective, that must be a very powerful place to be when you go for that interview. Well, yes, and they also become very useful in the organisation as well yes. because you can you can sit them around the table and you know and, and they can give some you know thoughts on on how we're doing it as well. And I I think you know it's interesting the uh, you know I was always very critical of the uh, the, the original version of the um, MPQS ML the, the Middle Leadership one because it didn't actually ever teach us or or, or initiate the head of department, subject leader, into the stuff you need to do as a subject leader, which is you, you need to interview people, and that isn't on there. It, you have to do learning walks or lesson observations and how to do those. That wasn't on there. You know, you, you had to sort of run a budget for a department, albeit you know, probably quite a small one, but you, you need to have an insight into budgeting. And and then strategic planning and the relationship with budgeting, and all of those things are sort of missing from that whole thing. And and then and obviously the other bit is around how to get through an inspection and what inspectors are looking for. So you end up with these these. There's a lot of very fluffy leadership stuff around that is is sort of looking at uh, what it is to be a leader. Are you a conductor or are you an actor or are you a you know, general and all the rest of it and do all this and you can do all your different models of leadership. But actually some of it is what do you actually do when you're in this role? And I think there's a sort of practical aspect that people have just lost sight of. You know, a lot of you know, too much you know, sort of leadership theory and not enough that this is how a <laughs> this is how a staffing yeah. budget works. Or... Yeah. No, it's interesting that because I sometimes look at those things and we get we you know, people sort of offer to write about them and you sort of think, but but aren't you not a bit of that at all times and different scenarios will need to be a different type of leader and obviously like you said in the practical bits but it's such a big topic that isn't it and um interesting you said about inspections as well that's a whole other you know like you say do a whole podcast on that that in of itself but um certainly from a sort of leadership perspective and talent management and all the things there we, we we've picked through so many different things there and both shared you know insights about what you're doing at your school and the more generally you know some of the sort of trends and, and insights that you're seeing and, and you know again even i've Got some insights to share, which has been nice um, about this about the sector. So really great to chat about that, and um, I think there's some more topics for articles there that we should explore going forward as well. Because um, always, you know, always keen to get those things on, on the page or the digital page, you should say, as well. So, uh, but yes, thank you so much for sharing the insights, and um, hopefully we can pick up some more of this, as I say, on the on the website soon. Uh, always, always, always good to work with you, Dan. <laughs>